0: Shrimp, 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 shrimp. Rabbits, 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 rabbits. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series.
1: Don't forget we are celebrating... 50th episode and Woo-hoo. living books, press or living. I keep saying books, living, right. living book press has, um, is celebrating with us and giving our listeners 10% off any order when you use the code CM says.
0: Yeah. So go to livingbookpress.com dot com, or you can use the referral link in the, dis- or in the notes of this podcast, and go to Living Book Press and use coupon code says at checkout for your 10% off. Because the guys over there at Living Book Press are really cool. They're really excited about what we're doing. And we're excited about what they're doing. It's great. So this is episode 51. It is. Which means we've been doing this nonsense now for over 50 episodes. Yep. Come this November, it'll be a year.
1: Yep. And November's in a month.
0: In a month, it'll be a year. (laughs) It's crazy.
1: Do you think that you know more than you used to?
0: Yes, I absolutely. I've learned a lot about Charlotte Mason at this point. uh, Less about Charlotte Mason, but honestly, yeah, I've learned a lot about who she was and the life she led not so much from reading this book from but from the research that you've done and the things that you've talked about mm. i've learned i've learned a lot about charlotte mason as a person and then i've learned a lot about charlotte mason's thoughts on education why we educate how we educate what is unique about her thoughts on education as compared to a lot of other different thoughts and how it's so drastically different from other theories of education and philosophies of education and how it all makes sense. It all flows. You go from from one thought to the next logical thought after that to the next logical thought after that, and it's one after another. And it's like she says, from, from your initial idea, you can get to the point you need to get to you can discern where you're going from there.
1: A logical conclusion.
0: Yeah, you can come to a logical conclusion so long as your initial thought, well, you come to a logical conclusion regardless of your initial thought. But so long as your initial thought is good and right, then you'll come to a good and right conclusion as you're continuing to use good and right initial thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've learned a lot about the purpose of an educator the job of a parent as an educator, yeah, I've learned a lot. It's it's been really fun. It it's definitely the most I've studied education ever. Yeah. What about you? Have you learned a lot?
1: I have. from From my my first introduction to Charlotte Mason, I I latched onto it, and this has deepened that understanding because it was just a surface surface level understanding, right. and I. Pretty much dove into kind of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, all of that stuff, without reading this book and without diving into the why. Mm-hmm. And so it's been very good for me to step back this year, basically this whole year, and take the the larger picture, especially since we've had so much upheaval. Yeah. So we've had a move. We've had uh, one. in the last year the the kid the twins have been one. And mm-hmm. they're so lots of little kids, lots of moving, lots of changing of circumstances, and just it's been so so good to have this basis in the why and to be treating the kids as people and to not be worried about formal education, right. And there's a lot, there's a lot more within the Charlotte Mason education world that we could be doing, Mm -hmm. but knowing the why allows me to say, that's not right for us in this stage of our life right now. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And this is why we're doing this. This is what we're, what we're going for. Mm-hmm. and education is a life. So what we're doing as a family, how we're moving, how we're how we're learning about siblings and learning to deal with how do we talk to siblings and how do we not scream at them and how do we use our <laughs> words? That is education. Yeah, it is. And and the fact that that we have John has allowed me and graciously rolled his eyes at me. Well, I collect a library of books.
0: Yep. Every, but, every time. Every time the collection increases.
1: But it allows our kids to come in here and pull books off the shelf and just read them. And now that Ian and even Naomi are starting to actually read, they can actually read them. And they're so excited about that. Yeah. And those are their teachers. I choose what goes in here and the books are their teachers.
0: To a certain extent, yeah, to, to
1: a certain extent, but but that whole that that mindset has been very freeing for me.
0: Well good. Because like we talked about in the last chapter, the catechism, the Catechism. Well, okay, she sums it up best at the end of this chapter that we're about to discuss. Uh, there are two there are two main there are two goals of the educator to inspire ideas, and to form habits.
1: Well, you can say that she's talked about that.
0: Right, but the place I was reading it, I couldn't find it in the last chapter, so I found it in the next chapter.
1: That's because we didn't actually read the last chapter in the book.
0: Right? I don't have anything highlighted in I don't the have book. the
1: entire... <laughs> nothing's underlined in that section.
0: No, it's kind of annoying. I feel like I need to take what I highlighted from, from the copied page and highlight it into the book.
1: I... Probably should do that too.
0: Yep. It, I feel like it would make a lot of sense.
1: Actually, put the notes in the book. Especially even since okay, even every page two twenty-nine.
0: Chapter in this book has highlighting in it.
1: Page two twenty-nine, the two heads of ideas: formation of habits and presentation of ideas.
0: Yeah, and so you, as a parent, are freed from doing all of the specific curriculum stuff. Even though those specific curriculum stuff are a tried and true method of inspiring ideas and creating habits. They are. They work. People use them. They've they've worked. Charlotte
1: they Mason uses Charlotte them. Charlotte
0: Mason uses them. Used. She hasn't used much of anything for a while. <sighs> she died a couple of years ago.
1: Now you derailed yourself.
0: I completely did. I'm, <laughs> I'm too tired for this right now. Goodness gracious! There was a so the, I as I was editing the last discussion, I started talking about something. I, I don't I don't remember at this point what I was talking about, but I had I had a thesis statement. I was like, all right, because of these things we've talked about, this, this, and this, and then you you said something about millennials.
1: I had just a throwaway little tidbit. A
0: throwaway comment, and I responded to that throwaway comment, and then the conversation moved on, and I was very sad.
1: John was left wanting to know what he
0: thought about whatever it was. I wanted to know what I thought, because I don't know what I think. (laughs) So yeah, derailed conversations, and now I don't know what I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, so so Charlotte Mason. So there are tried and true methods for educating children, for implementing those two things, for inspiring ideas and creating habits. But knowing that the goal of us as educators is those two things, inspiring ideas and forming habits, for the formation of habits, then we can do those two things and the specific curriculum that we use is not as important. Yeah. And honestly, and I'm sure some Charlotte Mason people are going to, I don't know, throw rotten tomatoes at me for this or something. But even if your children are not in a Charlotte Mason education system, those are still the two main goals of the educator is to inspire ideas and create habits. So even if your kids are in, a public school system or a private school system or a Catholic school or, or uh, you know, some other homeschool system that's not Charlotte Mason, be it Bob Jones or Rebecca or, or uh, the other one that we were looking into.
1: Oh, classical. Classical.
0: Well, gosh, or classical. This is going to be a long show. Regardless of which specific curriculum you're using, those are still the two – primary roles of the educator is to inspire ideas and to form habits which is mind-blowing to me
1: both of which develop your character
0: both of which develop your character and character is what flows out of that so yeah i, I feel like I, I would agree that having studied this that it is oh so much more freeing for us to be able to say look we cannot choose to do whatever we want to do so long as we're fulfilling those two criteria.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a lot of it is, you know, we're not, we're not behind, we're not ahead. We are where we're at. Mm-hmm. And as I'm, I'm, I am following a schedule, but as I'm going through that, I'm not tied to it. Right. I'm not, I'm not stressing that we're three weeks behind or five weeks behind. I Honestly, I think we're in a couple of different weeks on some of these. I just <laughs> check what's next and uh-huh. go there. But it doesn't matter. It it matters to, I guess, to the world and to society. Well, what grade is your child at? Mm-hmm. But ev- even now we're reading Understood Betsy. With, I, with I'm reading it with Ian. And it's about a girl who gets trans... Uh, her life gets uprooted, basically. And she gets sent to the country. Hmm. And she goes to this one room schoolhouse, and she goes up and she does her reading lesson and she just blows it out of the water. But previously she'd been in class of like 30 or 40. So she maybe got a chance to do one of her readings for the teacher. So she read this and the teacher's like, Oh, try this one. She read it again. Try this one. She read it again. And she startled herself at one point. And the teacher's like, well, you gotta keep going. We gotta find out what happened in this poem. <laughs> Everyone in the the school room is so interested. So she jumped her up to seventh grade reading. Oh wow! And she was in she was technically third grade, so all the way up to seventh grade reading. And she was like, "Teacher, I can't do that. I I can't do math. I can't do spelling." She's like, I, I, "We're just talking about your reading. You're in. That's where you're at." Mm-hmm. And and then they did math, and she's like, "Yep, you're right." You're going to bump, we're going to bump you down. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not at this level yet. She's like, I don't know where I'm at. I'm seventh grade reading, second grade math, third grade spelling. We're, you aren't a grade. You are you. Yeah. You are not a number. You are the person.
0: Which is a very important thing to know as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, no, that's good. I-
1: well, in, in in that vein, we're going to start, you know, chapter 23, which is called A Question for Parents Whence," and the next chapter is going to be Wither. So they're going to take a look back too. Where did they come from?
0: Mhm. Well, so I looked up a definition for wince because I was brain well, I actually didn't. And I don't I didn't write it down, so
1: No. Oh, there goes that.
0: <laughs> the definition of whence from Miriam Webster. I'm looking this up on the interwebs right now. The definition of whence is from what place, source, or cause. So that's what we're going to dive what into. What is the source? What is the source? And it's it's what is... Oh, look. I did write something down. <clears throat> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. So she starts out Talking about the the progress of the Parents National Education Union, the PNEU.
1: I did some a lot of digging on this one actually. Well, I scratched the surface on this one. <laughs> so first, we're gonna have a timeline. Uh, home education was a lecture series in nine. I'm sorry, 1885, and it was published the next year in 1886. Four years later the PNEU Executive Committee was established and the Parents Review, a monthly journal, was launched. And Parents and Children is a collection of monthly review articles. And then the next year, in 1891, they launched the Parents Review Correspondence School, where they would send out curriculum and forms and timetables and basically everything you need and then you as a parent teach your children and then you would send back their written um written narrations their exam scores they would send you the exam questions and it was a correspondence school interesting um and i read another article where she was diving into what did it cost because there were fees involved they they paid for this, ah. so not it, it was it was fascinating. Not only was this just a, a intellectual revolution, this was her livelihood.
0: Interesting. It
1: it supported her and multiple other people. Huh. But the article I was reading translated it into modern day prices, and it was very reasonable. Oh. So that was six years. It was five years after her first book, Home Education, was published. They had a correspondence school.
0: And Home Education is... Volume 1. Volume one mm-hmm. Okay. In
1: 1894, the first correspondence school as a school actually started. So they took their curriculum and opened a school. And then in 86... I'm sorry... In 1896, two years after the first school opened, Parents and Children is published. So at this point, when Parents and Children is published, um, home education has been out for 10 years. Mm -hmm. The PNEU has been around for nine years. The school, the correspondence school has been around for five years. And then there's an actual physical school for one year. Interesting. So when they're talking here about at the present moment, thousands of children thinking thousands of children of thinking educated parents are being brought up more or less consciously and definitely upon the lines of the union. That's that's 10 years worth of people being influenced by this of
0: this movement already going on.
1: Mm -hmm. And it goes on. There's a they start an annual conference. And in 1904, School Education, Volume 3, is published. 1905, Ourselves, Volume 4, is published. And 1 and 2 are reissued. So this is the reissue that we're reading right now of Parents and Children. So then they were doing a lot of publishing. Um, Formation of Character was published in uh, 1906.
0: She finally got... Other people doing her educational work and spent time to write her thoughts down.
1: She also was facing health difficulties, um, uh, and so a lot of it ended up with with her having to take long sabbaticals and go off to the baths or the salt baths wherever sure. for the summer or the winter or whatever. However, go, that worked to in go that get day. her leeches applied. Not quite that old. <laughs> She finished Philosophy of Education in 1921, and it was published after her death. And she died in 23, and 1925, A Philosophy of Education was published.
0: Interesting.
1: So, yeah. Unfortunately, from the...
0: From the start of her stuff to the end, it was only 40 years.
1: And if I remember right, she was about 80 when she died. So she did her lecture series when she was 40 well and which gives her
0: well, for 30
1: me. 20 25 years of observing
0: yeah
1: so that was a long history just to to say that it was becoming a large movement towards the towards the end of that timeline government was changing towards a yeah. towards a different philosophy and they there were many schools, many public schools that were adopting it, and they backed down, and didn't anymore. And lack of interest and lack bad timing you you mm-hmm. name it. The PNEU closed its doors in
0: 1989. So that is not very long ago.
1: No, nope.
0: I was two. That's that was thirty years ago.
1: And at the same huh. time it has now seen a revival in America and Australia and other places around the world and not necessarily in England. Really? Yeah. So. Interesting. Other people know more about that than me, but that's just kind of an overview.
0: Yeah. So if you're interested in the history of this, Google it, I guess.
1: Ask me, I can find you a couple of links.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So if you're interested in the history of this, shoot us an email at Charlotte says at gmail.com <laughs> or leave a note on Facebook Instagram Twitter can you can you make comments on Pinterest
1: don't do Pinterest I don't check that at all
0: I don't know how Pinterest works we just post there
1: <laughs> <laughs> so side tidbit um, if you join the PNEU and wanted your children to have the parents union school you had to fill out a questionnaire age height weight health memory tests favorite occupations specimens of work to be sent in drawings are for the children's hands etc etc rather a nuisance and rather unnecessary you might think at first but i believe every parent would change his mind if he realized how much interest is taken by miss Mason in his particular child. So the questions, you answer the questions, send them to Ambleside, and you receive a in a short time you receive a program of work and a timetable for your child for the coming term. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Distance learning at its finest, way yeah. back when. And they started a conference and a union and all the things that we're doing today.
0: That a growing education system needs. Yeah, as as I read that This statement at the present moment, thousands of children are thinking, thousands of children of thinking, educated parents are being brought up more or less consciously and definitely upon the lines of the union. That's kind of what's going on right now. Yeah. And parents who are influenced by these parents are becoming multitudinous and all have one note in common, the ardor of persons working out inspiring ideas. That's who we are. Yeah. We're we're a part of this new movement of parents who are taking a great interest in their children's education.
1: Just like it was in the first chapter, you know, talking yeah. about the the parents sta- stopping what they're doing and staying home with their kids.
0: And coming to a full realization of it. Because we're, wow, and where we're at right now is in an age of dual income homes the the vast majority of households have and of course since all since 98% of statistics are made up on the spot 87.5% of all households have dual incomes <laughs> those are completely made up stats it se- it seems like and it feels like most of the people i know most of the adults i know in in my situation of age and children's ages have dual incomes. Both parents are out of the house working. And so we're a part of this movement of coming to the realization that, no, we need to stop what we're doing. We need to slow down what we're doing. And we need to pay an immense amount of attention to our children and their education Mm -hmm. because they are a primary goal of us as people is to raise children and to raise people of character who will be a part of a growing building society and that's what we talked about in chapter one and two and three i think as we were Mm -hmm. as we were starting at at the base of why do we educate our children and how did this all come about that we actually care and it feels like we're again in a movement of people really caring about their children the the actual statistics of people who are homeschooling is staggering it's staggering the number of parents who are taking their children out of the public school system out of the private school system the catholic school system and educating them at home be they christian be they muslim be they atheist whatever they may be they're pulling their children out because they realize that their children need a good education, a custom education, and that's the best education. So, yeah, I when I read this, I went, ooh, she's talking about us. A <laughs> hundred years ago, she's writing about us now yeah. going through an educational revolution, yeah. reformation, resolution, reformation, movement, movement. Words are hard. It's late.
1: So now you understand why I spent a long time on this first page doing my research <laughs>
0: Yeah, we, we, we definitely were looking through this chapter last night and i read through it and i was highlighting things i thought were interesting and writing some notes and i finished up and i wandered back into the office and hey honey i'm done with mine how are you looking Crystal looks up at me and goes i'm halfway through the first page uh-huh all right this is gonna be a good one So any more thoughts for this first page or this first section?
1: One more little tidbit. Okay. By 1925, so right around when number six was published, there were 196 schools using the perfect Charlotte Mason curriculum. Straight from the PNEU presses.
0: That's a lot of schools. So. I wonder how many families were a part of the PNEU.
1: I'm sure we could find out.
0: Probably be interesting not interesting enough for me to go look now
1: no that would take a while to dig up yeah probably yeah
0: cool all right so a little bit of history lesson on charlotte mason and how her philosophy or when her philosophy came about
1: and and how it was disseminated yeah it was it was the the correspondence and then the schools and she also had a teacher college, so she was training teachers as well.
0: That's right. I remember you saying that a couple times. Okay, so moving on then throughout or through this chapter. And as – so the further we get into this chapter, the more sections we have that I couldn't figure out what to highlight in a section. Because, because it was all good? Well, and it was one sentence, one long run-on sentence.
1: Well, here we are, we're going, we have this, we are solemnized with this sense of great responsibility. So now that we have this responsibility on us, we need to look at whence we came and whither we are going. So -hmm. this chapter deals with whence. So a lot of it is looking to the past. Mm -hmm. And the person, the man who's satisfied with his place has no wish to move. He's perfectly fine but the mere fact of a movement is a declaration we are not satisfied and that we are definitely on our way to some other ends than those commonly accepted so something's not quite right or something's drastically wrong and we are not satisfied and that's right. what a movement means or that's what a movement what that's what triggers a movement so then she goes back to mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, and th- that, that they are brought up well, that they were brought up well. And she said, not mere chance, nor did it come out of the spelling book or Pinnock's Catechisms. <laughs> so Pinnock's Catechisms was started in 1817. It was cheap educational works, a series of catechisms consisting of short, popular manuals arranged in the form of question and answer of the different departments of knowledge. It's mentioned in another story as a set of depressing texts. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's mentioned as a depressing set of texts in contrast to Washington Irving's stories, i.e., it was not living. So there were... Good, strong people raised in spite of these things. Right. But the teaching, the teaching was bad. It was haphazard, reckless, both in physiology and psychology. But they had one saving principle, which is losing. They recognized children as reasonable beings, persons of mind and conscious like themselves, but needing their guidance and control as having neither knowledge nor experience. So regardless of how they were teaching them, they had this one thing that just helped everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She, she goes on to say, so soon as the baby realized his surroundings, he found himself a morally and intellectually responsible person. They treated children as people. Yeah. People that needed to learn and grow and under- and come to an understanding, but but people. And she talks about that a little bit later. But she goes on here. She says, expectation strikes another chord, the chord of I am, I can, I ought, which must vibrate in every human breast, for tis our nature to. The capable, dependent men and women whom we all know were reared upon this principle.
1: So Mrs. Hardcastle and Tony Lumpkin are characters in a comedy called She Stoops to Conquer by Oliver Goldsmith. It was first performed in 1773. Wow. Variations of it are still performed today.
0: That doesn't surprise me.
1: But he's the son of Mrs. Hardcastle and the stepson of Mr. Hardcastle. And the comedy is a result of his practical joking. Oh, jeez. Basically. (laughs) Wow. So it seems like... uh, she believes he can do no harm. hmm So that was whence we came. But now, what about our children now? Are they raised with this knowledge that they are a reasonable being?
0: <laughs> that they're responsible persons from a mm-hmm. young age?
1: And she says, yes, but not with quite the unfaltering certitude of the old times. Other thoughts are in the air.
0: I was just going to say that, that we've fallen off a cliff there and that, that those old lines are gone completely. And, and we're bringing them back because children are not raised as responsible individuals.
1: I think that that can be said generally, but not
0: to everyone. Right. Right. The major, yeah, no, you're right.
1: Because because there is a significant portion of society that still brings up children to be, uh, to be responsible Absolutely. and reasonable beings, and and treats them such.
0: You're right. I guess when I look at again spout the millennial nonsense here, when I look at my generation, I see a lot of entitled people who were not brought up to be responsible and make their own decisions. And now they're having to learn how to do that. And it's hard. It's hard to learn how to be responsible when you haven't had to be your entire life. And clearly that's not every one of my generation. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to say that there are clearly exceptions and a lot of them so maybe it's half and half even, but still that's half of my generation that is that way who who were not raised to be responsible adults.
1: Yeah. So I I I I would I, I would agree with the unfaltering certitude of old times is still lacking. You're and right. I and I think a lot of that is because of massive quantities of information. Because there are so many theories that are widely disseminated
0: hmm.
1: as opposed to when you're raised without internet, without access to those things you're you are certain about what you're doing because that's the way it is right but even even here, you know this the baby's a huge oyster, which I didn't find that psychologist, but Professor So was one of the founding members of the British Psychology Society. This mm. um, Studies of Children was published in 1896. Side tangent, where it's on the uh, footnote, it says Studies of Children by Professor Soly. Longmans, 10S, 6D. You Guess what those mean.
0: S- seconds and days.
1: Ten shillings and sixpence. That's the publisher and the price of the book.
0: Oh, that's funny.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. So pick up your latest book from Longman's for 10 shillings, six pence of studies and children. Studies of children. Yep. Just call up Longman's. (laughs) Make sure you have your 10 shillings and six pence or else you might not get your book.
1: So I thought that was hilarious.
0: That's very funny that she put a price in here hey, buy the stupid book, it's only this much.
1: (laughs) So he he is an evolutionist and pledges to accommodate children to the principles of evolution. So the little person has to go through these thousands of stages. But he dealt with children too much. And so he was too true a child lover (laughs) to let the kids be relegated into that theory
0: to force them to stick into that theory yeah because he knew that all children are different that's hilarious
1: and evolutionary psychologists is a theoretical approach to psychology that attempts to explain useful mental and psychological psychological traits such as memory perception and language as adaptations or i.e. as the functional products of natural selection Hmm. So she's not going to argue science with the scientists.
0: She's just going to leave them to be scientists. Mm-hmm. So that was looking at that's looking at the current state of education.
1: Mm, the current state of viewing children.
0: You're right. So then she moves on. Or she doesn't move on. She she talks about her what she's seen, and she talks about the intellectual labor of the child's first year and just how much an infant does in its first year. They accommodate themselves to the new conditions in a new world in learning to discern between far and near, solid and flat, large and small, and a thousand other qualifications and limitations of this perplexing world. Which makes sense. Babies have to learn all kinds of random crap because they just don't know anything. But she continues to say, so then we're not surprised that John Stuart Mill should be well on, should be well on in his Greek at five, that Arnold at three should know all the kings and queens of England by their portraits, or that a musical baby should have an extensive repertoire of the musical classics.
1: John Stuart Mill He was dubbed the most influential English-speaking philosopher of the 19th century. Ah. But back to his childhood about doing this, he was uh, given an extremely rigorous upbringing. He was homeschooled. And his father had the explicit aim to create a genius intellect that will carry on the cause of utilitarianism and its implementation after he died. He was a precocious child. At the age of three, he was taught Greek. At eight, he had read Aesop's Fables, Z- Xenophon,
0: I don't know,
1: Xenophon's Anabasis, the whole of Herodotus, and was acquainted with Lucian, Diogenes, Isocrates, and six dialogues of Plato. He'd also read a great deal of history and English and had been taught arithmetic, physics, and astronomy. That is John Stewart
0: Mill, no. yep, but yeah, she's saying with how much a baby learns, well, it stands to reason that children also can learn, mm-hmm. so she goes on then to talk about specific uh, a I guess two anecdotal stories here. The first is that she had she she knew a person, a parent whose grandson was the child of a an English and German couple who lived in Baghdad. And this child learned how to speak German, English, and Arabic correctly to the correct people by age three. There you go. I think about our daughter who's about to turn three. She speaks English fluently with us.
1: She's about to turn four, love. Well,
0: yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> whatever (laughs) she's spoken fluently with us for a year now fluently as a child of three can speak but i could totally believe that if she were raised in a household in a foreign country that spoke a different language and you and i both spoke different languages sure she would know three or four languages Mm -hmm. just because she does not because she studied them or really set out to learn them but just because
1: that's a life
0: yeah so that's that's her first little anecdote here and i think it's pretty cool and and very fitting and telling the next anecdote anecdote i'm not i'm not quite sure where she's going with it
1: she's going with uh again observation and being able to make those connections and ask the questions and trying to just figure stuff out. You know, she knows hunt bees make honey, so if the bird is taking a cherry, does, do birds make jam? And it doesn't make sense to our minds because we're like, oh, no, what, no. But to, to a child who yeah. is needing guidance and control, having neither knowledge nor experience, that's a perfectly valid sure. question.
0: They're just putting two and two together.
1: As is, you know, does God love little girls or little boys? Oh, little girls. Well, if God loves little girls, why isn't God a little girl? And so the rest of us are like, what? What? Where are you going with that? Uh-huh. But to a child's mind, that's the next step.
0: That is a very logical conclusion. So, that okay. that's
1: where that section's going. And the first one is the the ability, the faculty to learn. And the next is the the reasoning and the logic right, the present in children. Put,
0: the ability to put together. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: And so this is how we find children. And I this section, I, I didn't even bother underlining because it was a whole section. Right. This is how we find children. With intelligence more acute, logic more keen, observing powers more alert, moral sensibilities more quick, love and faith and hope more abounding. So those were examples of these things in all points like we only much more so, but ignorant of the world and its ways and us and above all of how to control and direct and manifest these possibilities. So it kind of goes, you know, she's, she, she almost sounds in this section, like she's saying, you know, we have this amazing creation that we just need to form and mold, but that's based on everything else. That's not where she's going with
0: it. It's not. But we get to educate it. But we get to educate it. We get to give it ideas and we get to shape its character by, by forming ideas and habits. So she moves on from here to talk about happy and good or good and happy. The idea of happy children are good. As an idea that if your children are happy, then they'll also be good. A theory. Right. It's a theory.
1: Whereas in the older days, the theory was, if you're good, you will be happy. Yeah. And this, the older one, strikes the principle of endeavor and holds good, not only through the stages of childhood, but good for the whole of life here and hereafter. You endeavor yourself to do good. Mm Mm-hmm. And she says you have learned to live. So now that we have set again this concept of a child, we look to our methods of education, which are new and only made possible within the late decades of the last century. Because of the advances in biology and the potent secret of these latter days, the brain.
0: Yes. It's biology, though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) i I don't know i feel like she really could have just stopped it biology and then we've thought of other things too based on science we've we've also made other discoveries yeah because we thought about it a little bit
1: so then knowing that the brain is the physical seat of habit conduct character are outcomes of the habits knowing that the inspiring idea initiates new habits of thought Hence a new habit of life. We perceive that the great work of education is to inspire children with vitalizing ideas as to the relations of life, departments of knowledge, subjects of thought, and to give deliberate care to the formation of these habits of the good life, which are the outcomes outcome of vitalizing ideas. How many times can she say this?
0: Well, she says it again like two sentences later. <laughs> she seriously we're
1: beating a dead horse these last couple of chapters
0: no we're beating the carcass of a dead horse that's been splattered all over a thousand hills because we've been beating it for so long
1: do you think she believed this
0: not at all no
1: do you think it matters
0: no this is worthless she repeats it here again there's a little section here about divine cooperation the divine spirit, whom we recognize in a sense rather new to modern thought as a supreme educator of mankind, has been called – uh, wow. Reading she
1: joins secular and sacred in this one. She does. That little
0: section. Yeah. So she has a little section here. I didn't highlight anything of it, but she has it there. And then her next section, two educational labors. What do you think they are? <gasps> Inspiration of ideas and formation of habits. Whack. If
1: you want more on sacred and secular, go to chapter eight.
0: If you want more on dead horses, <laughs> then you can just continue keep reading. reading. <laughs> Whack! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dead yet. <laughs> that's a that's a Monty Python quote. There, uh, Monty Python in the, the search for the Holy Grail, or just the just Holy the Holy Grail. Grail. Uh, so so many,
1: she so gives people. an example of a Herbartian line of school, a week's worth. So they did everything with apples and, apples and apples and apples and apples and apples and apples and
0: apples. They modeled it. They painted it. They stitched it. They pricked it. They laid it on sticks. They modeled an apple tree. They made a little ladder to gather the apples and a wheelbarrow. And a great deal more of the same kind. Everybody said, how pretty, how ingenious, what a good idea.
1: Oh my goodness, Pinterest is amazing. Ooh.
0: But we ask. Well, no,
1: first, they came away with the notion that this was education.
0: And we ask, what was the informing idea? The external shape? The internal contents of an apple? Matters which the children are already exceedingly well acquainted? They already know what an apple is. They eat the apples. They, they, and they see them. They look at them. They know that it's a round-ish object that's reddish or goldish or greenish. And you eat it. And if it's not brown, it tastes good. Like, we know all these things.
1: What mental habits were gained? Sure, they learned how to look an apple. But what could they have become familiar with in that time that they spent? What else? What was lost? By using this time. I uh, like this. They were probably not consciously bored because of the teacher's enthusiasm, but rabbits hot and rabbits cold, rabbits young and rabbits old, rabbits tough and rabbits, rabbits tender and rabbits tough. That's an old folk song. Yeah? Yeah. And it's talking about having to eat rabbit pie.
0: Oh, rabbits and rabbits and rabbits and rabbits and rabbits.
1: Yeah. You eat them and you eat them and- there's, there's six verses to this folk song.
0: All about rabbits.
1: And this is like verse number six. <laughs> That's awesome. And the guy at the end is like, "I'm," so, or the chorus is like, I'm so tired of rabbit pie.
0: It reminds me of the scene in Forrest Gump where Bubba, uh, is, let's see, Bubba is Forrest's friend in the army. And as they're going through boot camp, Bubba tells Forrest that he wants to open a shrimp shop and Forrest goes, "Well, what can you do with shrimp?" Bubba looks at him for a moment and then he starts talking about all the different ways that you can do shrimp. And then there's a montage of them doing army boot camp things and Bubba's just in a in a monotone voice naming off things you do with shrimp. Shrimp scampi, shrimp shrimp soup. Shrimp, this shrimp, that shrimp, da shrimp, da. And it that it lasts. I I don't remember how long it lasts, but at some point they're they're sitting there with toothbrushes scrubbing the floor, and Bubba stops and he looks up. I think that's all the ways you can cook shrimp. That's what that reminds me of. Yep. Shrimp, 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 shrimp. Rabbits, 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 rabbits.
1: So basically, no doubt the children had enough of apples anyway.
0: Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I would too.
1: And this reminds me of unit studies where mm. you take one idea and and make everything related to that one idea in a in a contrived manner.
0: Where it's not necessarily true that the unit study in an, in and of itself is bad. Because, I mean, this sounds, this sounds pretty cool. They learn a lot about the way the apple looks, and they, they got to draw things. Drawing is good. They did a lot of good things here. And I don't think she's necessarily poo-pooing the fact that they did good things, that they might have learned some stuff. She's saying, couldn't they have used their time better? Mm-hmm.
1: This apple course is most instructive to us as emphasizing the tendency of the human mind to accept and rejoice in any neat system which will produce immediate results rather than bring it bring every little such course to the test of whether it does or does not further either or both of our great educational principles she didn't write them she didn't write them down what <laughs> but it, that that the tendency of the human mind to want a system that brings results. Right. Here is your system. Here is your apple. Here is your your focus. I want you to model it in clay.
0: You have Here, a clay model. Here's your take-home paper to show your parents to hang on the fridge. Look what your child learned in school today.
1: Yeah. So. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> Did it... Further inspiring ideas or habits did or it,
0: form good habits. Right. Did it did it inspire or was was that an inspiration of ideas? Did that plant seeds of ideas or form habits?
1: Plant seeds. They probably did.
0: <laughs> There's a solid chance they did. Oh man.
1: Anyways, whither? Whence? Is in the past now. We're going to look to wither. Except it's too large a question for the close of this chapter. <laughs> so we're going to punt that one.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of interested to see where she goes with this.
1: Mm-hmm. I did. I did highlight this. We consider carefully in what directions this advances due, and indicated. And we proceed of set purpose. And an endeavor to educate our children so that they shall advance with the tide. A new renaissance is upon us.
0: A new renaissance is coming upon us of unspeakably higher import than the last. And we are bringing up our children to lead and guide, and by every means help in the progress progress by leaps and bounds which the world is about to make.
1: She's a prophet
0: the the gains that the scientific community has seen since since she wrote this book is insane we literally sent men to the moon and now we have a little device in our pocket which has more processing power than nasa did when they sent men to the moon not the spaceship not the command center. No, no, the entirety of NASA. Your phone's more powerful than that. She, she was absolutely right. She saw this coming. That's why I think, and I, I know I've said it any number of times, especially early on, um, one of the other dead horses she liked to beat was uh, neuroscience and that pathways in the brain get formed. And that's part of the formation of habits is that you you physically alter the brain i think that if she were alive today she would just gobble up neuroscience research she would love it yeah but yeah there it is
1: and we get to read wither next yeah i'm i'm kind of excited about this too i've like like we've said i've i've not read this book
0: Well, I'm excited because she's clearly wrapping it up. We have Wither, and then we have The Great Recognition, and then we have The Eternal Child, and then we're done. She's wrapping this up. There's only three chapters left. So she's putting her her closing thoughts and her closing arguments on this book now. Mm -hmm. We spent two chapters talking very pointedly about giving an overview of her philosophy.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now she said okay, let's look back to where our philosophy came from. Now mm-hmm. she's going to say, what does that mean for us and where are we going? And I don't know what she's going to say for the next the two chapters after that. The great recognition and the eternal child. I'm, I'm super curious to find out. So if you're still listening to us on this episode, thanks. Um, I guess hang around and, figure out with us what the next three chapters hold. And then we're going to be done with this book, which is insane. I
1: was looking at the books. We definitely have uh thumb grease, dirt prints in the middle of the book on both
0: of ours. It's kind of gross.
1: They have been well used. We should probably take pictures of our books when we're done. (laughs)
0: I've definitely gone through, I think, three highlighters throughout the course of this book. And it's kind of funny because you can see when I used them. I started with yellow. And it started a pretty vibrant yellow. And by the time I stopped using the yellow, it was not vibrant. And then it, and then I moved to orange. And the orange is pretty vibrant. And then it became very much not vibrant. And I used that for a while.
1: The not vibrant one.
0: That's what my orange became. Oh, it was so That's sad. It's kind
1: of pathetic.
0: <laughs> right. I was having to highlight and then put the lid on and kind of shake it to try and get more juice into it. <laughs> and now I have a new highlighter. And it's about out, too. So, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see what the next chapter has has in store for us thank you for listening join the conversation with us on instagram facebook or twitter